live from the House of LeMay Makeup and Dressing Room. Here comes Amber. Stop what you're doing. Here comes Amber. She's just doing what she can. Here comes Amber. Cue the spotlight. Here comes Amber with two drinks in her hand. The matriarch of fashion, secret super glasses. You can't look away. Ask her, does she do it? Really nothing to it. She's got that fan on her game. If you have a party, or if you're feeling naughty, call up the house of the maid. Here comes your favorite gal. Hello, and welcome to the Amber Live interviews. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live. We want to remind you to subscribe to us both here and at youtube.com slash amberlive. You don't want to miss a moment of Amber LeMay, the Larry King of drag queens. There's so much more to the show than just the interviews that Amber does each week. We have hundreds of interviews, comedy sketches, songs, and more on YouTube that you can watch anytime. But... In the meantime, you can listen to the amazing interviews right here. Now enjoy this episode of Amber Live Interviews. All right, Jay Rodriguez, we covered your growing up. We covered you in Rent. We covered you in uh, Queer Eyes for a Straight Guy. What the heck have you been doing since then? You know, I, I'm really blessed to say that it was a struggle for a minute. But then, to be honest, I met, when I moved to L.A., I assumed the agency I was with, which was by Coastal, would represent me here as an actor. And they said no. You're a television host. You're a reality star. Never going to happen. And that fueled me. And I remember when I um, produced, there was a team of agents that represented at the time, I don't think they still do, the Queer Eye producers, and they wanted to sign all five of us. And then they gave us a pitch, then separated us to individual agents that rep us. And that agent said to me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to continue to act. He said, you're never going to be the next Antonio Banderas. What am I going to put you up for? Taco Bell commercials? What do you really want to do? And I hear that voice every time I audition for something. And Ryan Murphy gave me my first big guest star here in LA on a show called Nip Tuck, where I was episode five, um, it was season five, episode five. I play the, uh, the title of the episode is called Chaz Darling. And I played this fashion stylist who had an oversized nipple, a deformity that he wanted repaired by one of the surgeons. And, and just that credit alone on that hot show opened so many doors. And I booked a bunch of guest stars, dramatic and otherwise, and then I got my, my first pilot. It was like, it never went to series, but it was for the CW. And it was like first year Harvard med students. So think Felicity meets Grey's Anatomy. And it didn't go, but knowing that I was a series regular on that, that opened doors. And then my first series regular that went to series actually made me the first guy to garner fame off reality to become scripted series regular in a primetime show. The show was Malibu Country, starring Reba McIntyre and Lily oh. Tomlin and Sarah Rue. All giants in their game. And, you know, we ran for a year. You know, I, in my mind, I'd already bought my house in the hills. Like, I was like, this is going to run forever. Lily Tomlin, Reba. But it was a really great opportunity and validating one because I was like, all those old voices, I can silence them now because they didn't win. 
And, you know, since that time, it's just been a, a variety of roles from the resident to the rookie to Grey's Anatomy to the magicians to this year, Bosch Legacy, where I play a straight training officer to Uncoupled, where I play a fabulous gay with my husband, Jonathan. There we are. Um, I don't know why we're- <laughs> the, two, the, the two Jonathans, that, that's yeah, fun. By the way, this is a shocker. I did rent with him. And I had a huge crush on him. And his boyfriend did at the time did Xana Don't with me. So we've known each other. For, so us playing husbands, easy. Chemistry came. We would finish each other's sentences. Easy. Hopefully there'll be a season two. I think we'll find out in January. And hopefully they'll have us back because we're just recurring guest stars. However, Neil Patrick Harris is the godfather to our kid. And he was at our wedding. So maybe we'll come back. Neil, please have us back. Darren Starr, please. Um, I, I hope so. Oh, uh, but all of the, a lot of those gigs that you had, you pay, you played drag characters, yeah, transsexuals. Tell us about yeah. some of those roles. So, you know, because of the the, the rent thing, because of uh, Angel, I did get a bunch of drag roles. I did, um, you know, mistakenly in the uh, about 12 years ago, maybe 13, 13, 14, I took the role... Um, of a trans woman. And the reason why I say mistakenly is because I didn't know many trans actors at the time um, and the role required singing. And I'd always seen the elders in the community, people I look up to having had played trans actors as well or trans women before. And it never dawned on me that, that when the audition side said no trans women, no drag queens allowed to audition, that that was discrimination. And because I just assumed, oh, they, they, they want a cisgender male because they want to prove how good of an actor this actor is. And, you know, Trans America had just come out. And so I took the role and tried to give it the character such, um, such integrity and grace and consulted with many of my trans friends who then applauded me. However, when it aired, there was language in it I didn't want to say. Um, there was things that I knew were problematic that, you know, just didn't sit well with me. But when you're an actor, you feel like, oh, God, I'm on this fancy show. It's David E. Kelly. Like, can I say anything? I don't want to get fired. So I just bit the bullet. And that was my last time I played a trans woman. I will never audition for trans oh. roles again. There's plenty of trans actors who need the opportunity to give the nuance and the reality of the character in a way that cis people can't we could mimic it but we don't have the nuance and the lived experience to tell the story as accurately and i know because in the right the the writers wrote it one way hair make hair understood makeup understood that she was a trans woman make um, hair thought she was a drag queen and it was confusing because the trans woman performed in the art form of drag it was confusing so I played a bunch of drag queens, but it's funny, one, one drag queen I played was in the Chelsea Handler short-lived sitcom, Are You There, Chelsea? I played her dad's straight best friend who moonlights as a drag queen. Um, I played Christina Draguilera with the famous Coco Peru and Shangela oh. was in the episode on Detroit 187, which was um, a cop drama on ABC. But I really haven't, I did audition to play um, the late Leslie Jordan's love interest. And I was pinned for the role of a, a cabaret drag queen this fall. So I would have been shooting that had I booked it. I don't know if the role is still playing now that Leslie's no longer with us. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I feel like I've done it. You know, I, in my 25 year career, I don't feel like a, a pull to go back. And to be fair, all the drag race girls are the first ones called. And there's so many of them who are gifted actors um, and I use that word as in a gender neutral way that I don't need to do something that there are experts in this field who are doing it very well. 
But um, for me, the new frontier at this age and this state station is, <clears throat> you know, I, most of the things I auditioned for and lately have booked 50-50 ratio are straight roles. That wasn't possible for me 19 years ago. Right. And I don't see it as like, oh, now I'm better because I can. Because Meryl Streep doesn't wake up every morning thinking she needs to legitimize her career by playing a lesbian. And conversely, I don't need to play a straight guy to prove I'm a solid actor. What has changed? The dynamics and the storytelling for queer people. We get juicier, meatier stories that are closer to the center of the story being told. Sometimes we're a bonus character. Sometimes we're an add-on. Sometimes we're just the friend that you know nothing about. But more often than not, lately, we get to actually have a full lived experience in these stories. And, and those are the ones that I, I, I want to tell. Characters that have a full lived experience closer to the center of the story, regardless of who they love. We're no longer the victim or the bad person. Yeah, we're, right. we're a real person that yeah. everyone knows. Mm -hmm. All right, talk about Uncoupled. You, yeah. you, I didn't realize you had that close I auditioned for that show on my cell phone. Prop, I was shooting bros. I had the audition in, in like from my hotel room. I had a garbage can on top of a coffee table using the natural light of the window to audition because we only self-tape now. We don't go in person anymore as actors. And I recorded the other lines like on my iPad and played them so I could have a scene with myself in the room and was shocked when I booked it. Um, I also did that for bros, to be honest, here at home. And um, and I booked both off of self, everything this year off, off now I have a nice camera, but um, it was, it, when I heard Darren Starr and Neil Patrick Harris, I was like, sign me up, sign me up. I want this job. Just have them offer it to me. How do I not just get cast? Like at this point, it's a gay, it's a fabulous gay, duh. Um, so when I booked the role, I was excited. I thought there'd be a little bit more to do. You know, our characters in season one were um, not the center pri pri uh, principal cast, but in every Darren Star show, or in many shows in general, season one has to set up who everyone is. And season one of Uncoupled, the final episode, even let you know more about the principal cast that needs yeah. to be unpacked later. Then they can weave in um, the supporting cast later in more dynamic ways. But, you know, I will say, I think, you know, Colin, who plays my my husband on the show, he and I made more of the roles than what was what, what was on the page. And Darren even said that to us. And that was really validating um, that he just felt that we were great and great together. And so I have a strong feeling if the show comes back, we will be utilized again. But you really never know. I, I, I have to admit, when I heard about the show, I said, I love Neil Patrick Harris. But do I am I really interested in a bunch of rich, lonely gay guys. <laughs> Wait, listen, I am not rich. I don't know. I don't know. I, I the, 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 the townhouse we shot in had to be millions upon millions, two stories that I live there. I was like, what do I, do I have an OnlyFans about feet? Like, how can I afford this? Um, we still don't know what we do for a living or why we are able to afford that. But, you know, I, I think there is an, there's, there's a part of, um, the escapism TV that's aspirational that people are really drawn to. I am more like my apartment's a little bit more kitschy CB2, um, you know, urban outfitters kind of bohemian vibe. Um, you know, my furniture looks really good, but it probably didn't cost a lot. Um, and so parts of it are not necessarily relatable to me in terms of aesthetic, but the stories are pretty common and we've all felt this way. And it, I guess it just, just shows no matter what socioeconomic level you live at, jealousy, pain, all those things we experience very similarly. And, and Neil Patrick Harris is a great actor. A generous he, one too. He oh, was, 
He would let you have moments that were not supposed to be yours. He was great. You can tell that. You you can tell that. You know, that you know just wh whether it be that show or his hosting the the Tonys or anything else that he's done. You know he's a, a good story? person. Uh, on the red carpet for the premiere in New York City, I had just done the Bosch red carpet where they had me, and I'm only in two episodes of Bosch, and I'm in, you know, and that's like 10 episodes. And they were like, no, the whole cast. So that's what I was used to. I go to the Uncoupled premiere, they take a picture of everybody. Then they're like, okay, just the cast. So, yep, there I am. I stayed. You know what's weird about that picture? It's Darren Starr. It's Jeffrey, the the writer from uh, from Modern Family. You see Tisha, you see Emerson, you see Neil, you see Brooks, and you see Jay, who is a recurring guest star and not a principal lead. I didn't know any better, and that <laughs> circulated. I was when literally a PR girl was like, "Jay, can we just have the principal cast?" I was like, oh, "Yes!" Oh my god, I was so <laughs> humiliated. And I was like, "I hope Neil does." I hope they didn't think that I was like elbowing into their project. But again, you do got to assert yourself until you're asked to leave because, yeah. you know, oh, oops. Like me, we don't get those opportunities all the time. How long did it take uh, to do that series? You, you were in three we, episodes. We of sh I shot right after Bros. I want to say it was like, ooh, like end of November. No, it was November, the month of November. I shot a bit. I was I didn't shoot in December and then I shot some in January. But I think they shot. I think they shot November, December, January. Three months is how long it took, I think. Where was your wedding reception held? On At the show? Boathouse in Brooklyn. It was, was beautiful. I feel like I got married. I feel like I got married because because it was they played the wedding march when I came down the aisle. The woman yeah. who played my mother was on the Golden Girls. If you remember the Golden Girls episode where Sophia moves out with an older like geriatric and he's super rich and there's a Latin maid who shows Blanche the Jackson Pollock in the John. That's my mother. April. She's fantastic. So I was like, I felt a connection to her. She's getting misty when giving me away. We went through the whole vows, which they don't show, but like we went through all of it. And it's Colin who I've known forever. I was like, oh, I'm, I, I was married now. Like I was like, literally like in the color purple, like I was married now. Like literally, <laughs> I really felt it. And um, it was very cold, no heat in the building. It was, you know, dead of winter in January. People had warming jackets. The door were ajar because of the cables. So it was like probably 30 degrees. You could see our breath in some scenes. They had to figure that out. But, you know, it was, it, I've never wanted to be married more than the months that followed that shoot. Really, I was like, but if I never do, I, at least I have that. I know what it feels like. Oh, it was beautiful. Uh -oh. My battery is dying. So I'm going to- Okay, we'll take a break right now and we'll be right back with Jay Rodriguez. This is Russell producer and co-host of Amber Live, reminding you that it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJD Pro or by visiting us at AmberLive.tv and clicking on the Support Amber Live button. And now, back to this incredible interview. All right. Technical difficulties have been taken care of, we hope. <laughs> okay. So we, we, we just finished talking about Uncoupled, which I hope there's a second season. I really do. <laughs> Me Not too. Right? You, but I loved yeah. it. I, like I said, I had trepidation going, oh, do I really care about these people? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. I do too. I, I have to say, I want to know what happens with Tisha's baby's daddy. I, I want to know what happens with Brooks's cancer. Like I, there's all this stuff I want to know about, but um, 
yeah, it's been fun. And, you know, I've been documenting my behind the scenes during the pandemic. I had to figure out what to do. And I did a lot of live shows every single day on Facebook and Instagram. And the people were like, we want a website where we can go be members of. So I created this Patreon, which is this neon sign behind me that says Jay's World. It's all lit up. You can't see it. I had to change the aperture because we just switched batteries. But um, it has been my my saving grace because it allows me to video journal my my life and and you know it is membership based and it's been like a non-sexual only fans um but it, it has really kept me afloat during the pandemic when i was you know working sporadically and and now it's like a real passion project where it's a sense of community and and i've really i really enjoyed how i i was the last one that ever wanted to do anything like a youtube channel or a patreon but when i saw my peers doing it um it seemed to be really a great uh, way to just stay creative, especially times when you're between jobs. I'm here in Burlington, Vermont, and our town closed down on March 16th of 2020. On March 22nd, I called up Russell and I said, hey, I want to do something. I see people doing live things on Facebook. Let's do something. And so we just started doing something and we've done a hundred over 130 episodes <laughs> now since then. <laughs> Here so, we are. I believe in this, you know, like I have got the a podcast. I, you know, I follow behind the scenes of my acting work, you know, I do stuff on my, my animals and, but it's, but it, more than anything else, it's like uh, a window into some of our passions. And even the way you've led this discussion, it's just a, a beautiful window into your observation of like my career and stuff. And, these having these kind of conversations are, I think, always fun to watch and listen to. Yeah, I've talked to people from all over the world from my basement here in the old north end of Burlington, Vermont. Wow. <laughs> it's fascinating. All yeah. right. Um, we talked about Uncoupled. You mentioned bros a couple times. So how did you get connected with bros? Um, so I auditioned to play the Luke McFarlane character. I auditioned to play Billy Eichner's love interest, CrossFit going guy. In December of 2020, 20, December, no, it was, yeah, December 2020, wow. right, right before 2021. And I remember telling my agent, I'm not, what, guys, I'm not, I don't look like a personal trainer. And they said, you're not auditioning for this role. You're not even auditioning for this movie. You're auditioning for everyone that sees that tape for the rest of your life. And I was like, okay, with that, I can do. I do it. I did it, forgot it. Knew it was being made, but I was like, there's no way. Who cares? Then in July of 2021, wow. I got an audition. They're like, and they're like, for the same movie. And then my agent said, see a note from casting. And casting said, hey, Jay, we'd love to have you audition for the role uh, that you previous auditioned for as brother. And please affect the same bro-y accent you used last time. And I was like, ah, did I use a, I don't know. It was like seven months ago. So I did the tape. I did not know it was going to be an all LGBTQ plus cast. So I sent it in begrudgingly. I sent it in with a lot of old resentments of those old voices that said, you will never be able to play this kind of a role in television and film. And I was really frustrated because I felt the tape was so good. And I was like, I don't care who gets it, but that's 100% how he has to be played. 100%. I stand by that performance. Sent it in, forgot it. Didn't hear anything for three and a half weeks. And I was like, I didn't get it. So I was driving around doing errands and my agents called me, agent and manager, speakerphone. That's usually like a conference call. Usually you book something or you're in trouble. And 
when they told me I had to pull over because I started crying, it was like all those old memories. It was the agent who told me I would never be the next Antonio Banderas. That's as far as his dreams could go for me. It was every single manager or agent that didn't want to rep me because they didn't know what to do with a queer client because they didn't see a lot of queer roles and they didn't think I could do anything else. It was 25, 24 years at that point of hard work. And it was a moment to be remembered that Judd Apatow and Billy Eichner and, you know, Nicholas Stoller had decided that I was worthy of playing a lead, a straight lead in a major motion picture. It was, um, it was, it was important. It was important because we all have stories that we tell ourselves that someone else told us and whether we really believe them or not, sometimes they're hard to ignore those voices. And for the first time in my adult life, I was, I was really able to like let go of that um, because I felt like even if this doesn't happen again, I've had honest conversations with Judd and, and Nick and had them not trying to blow smoke up my ass, but just commend my little three minute performance. Um, and that matters. It matters because it's queer history. It's someone who is the first all out gay cast of network TV and now the first all LGBTQ plus major motion picture by a, a studio. And that matters because we're saying the word first a lot. And it's because we weren't allowed before. And now, now not only are we allowed, but we're allowed to thrive and shine just like our straight counterparts have been since the inception of entertainment. Um, the feel, what was the feeling like being on the set, knowing that everyone around you was of your community, that you didn't yeah. have to say, ooh, maybe I shouldn't say that. I think or, I found out. I'm too thin. Yeah. I think I found out like two weeks or maybe like the week of that everyone was LGBT. I knew that Amanda Beers from Married with Children, the neighbor, Marcy Darcy, was my mom. And I knew that Luke McFarlane was my brother. So I was already following him on social media. But the first week they started shooting and the cast list came down. So he saw the call sheet. He DM'd me on Instagram and was like, Hey brother, can't wait to meet you. Can't wait to work with you or something like that. And I screen grabbed that. And like, it was, I, you know, I loved him on brothers and sisters and he's such a, a TV heartthrob yes. and icon, but he's a Juilliard graduate. He's a Juilliard trained actor and be able to spar on, on, on set with someone with that kind of level of training as an actor and, and someone I've admired for such a long time and for him to graciously greet me. Let me tell you something, I was supposed to fly in on a, on a Tuesday and work Wednesday. The weather in New York was, it was an outside shoot that week for something and they had to switch. So Monday morning, my phone had 43 missed calls at 8 a.m. from the production manager saying, can you get on a flight right now? I call back, I was like, hi, what? It's like 9.30 in the morning. And, I'm, and they're like, can you get on a flight? I was like, I, I have my dog, I, I'm not Pat. Like, so I literally got on like, a, I think a 2 p.m. flight or something. Anyway, I got in like midnight-ish, there was delays. I didn't get back to the hotel till like two something in the morning and the car picked me up at 5.30. And so with no sleep, I had my fitting and did my two big scenes at the end of the movie with Luke. And it was great. It was great um, because I had called Nick on at the airport the day before the director and the writer, Nicholas Stoller. And I was like, but I, I mean, I didn't get to work with you. I don't like, do you have any notes on how this, did you like the tape? Like, I don't, you know, and he was like, honestly, we're going to work on set. But like, even if you did exactly what you did on your tape, I'd be thrilled. 
Um, so that was really sweet and it was great. And, um, and it was just like a, it was a great feeling because every time I turned around, I was like, oh, 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 you know, I got, you know, to, um, hang out with Simone. We had a scene that got a little cut. We didn't have like, words with each other, but we're in the same scene. Um, so I got to hang out with Simone and, um, you know, Guillermo Diaz, who also plays Straight and Married on this. I grew up watching him. My first agency, when I got rent, they represented him and they were like, we see you as a younger Guillermo Diaz. And I just have always admired him because he was, you know, straight gangster on weeds, like in Huck on Scandal straight. And, and he's out and gay and, and living his best life. And, you know, I just, I've, I've admired his work as an actor and even more so as an outspoken human. He's just really politically active and, and very verbal with his views, which I appreciate. Now, when Bros premiered, um, it didn't, it wasn't the big box office smash that um, some people thought it was going to be. Um, and there's lots of conversation about that. But some of the producers and the big shots really came out harsh against people who didn't come and see the movie. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? So you know, listen, I didn't expect this to be a big, huge blockbuster hit because I know that half the country already, you know, not half, but there's some portion of the country that still feels a certain kind of way. And being an outs, you know, Puerto Rican man in Hollywood, a lot of people of color who happen to be queer or LGBT felt slighted that there was another film that centered around another white couple because in indie style, we've seen this a million times. Now, in the film's defense and the writers and creators and directors, I think the movie was beautifully cast. They hired someone who was telling a version of their story. Billy, uh, Billy Eichner, Bobby is a heightened version of Bill, uh, Billy's lived experience. You know, if they... If they, if I was a writer and presented a script and it was made, it would be my lived experience. But Billy had a choice. He could have had big movie stars in all these roles. And instead he chose to have all LGBTQ plus people, progress. He could have hired straight people for the straight roles. He didn't, progress. So, you know, I think we did really well in streaming. And uh, I believe as of uh, December 2nd, you can stream on Peacock and um, it's available for purchase. There's also a DVD with bonus scenes, which I can't wait. I, there's a hunting scene where Luke comes out to me. Let's just say I had a gun in my hand, didn't go well. But, um, <laughs> um, but listen, what I see next is now that this was the opening of a door. What I want is for queer actors such as myself who paid our dues, have been a long time in this industry, who happen to be people of color. I don't want to be the friend or the sibling in the next incantation of this. I'd like to have stories that feature more queer people of color played by queer people of color. We had Moonlight, straight folk. Um, we don't get those chances very often. And many of us talk all the time and we're like, we know. If we audition, we don't even expect to be number one on the call sheet because we know that those stories aren't often told. So there was a bunch of also people who felt like that, you know, Billy on the street was Billy Eichner when it's not, <laughs> it's like a persona. And if you see the movie, it's undeniably good. And he really bears his soul in it. And there's a beach scene that even at the LA premiere, I pulled him aside and I was like, it's so good. It's so honest. And there's a moment in his monologue where I feel he shifts from Bobby, the character, to just honest Billy sharing his experience. And I related to so much of what he shared. So to me, it's a beautiful movie that um, any adult should see. Um, it, it's funny, it's the queer version of Bridesmaids. 
But this is just the opening of a door. As I've noticed in my career, you open a door for those who come behind you to have an easier time moving forward. And this is a stepping stone. And this film will have its place in the history books and mark, you know, an important moment. And, you know, in terms of what people said and, you know, producers or whatever, like I can't control people's mouths. Like I, 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 I saw it as fodder and, and comedy and, and their knee jerk response, but I'm not in a position to even promote the show. They didn't use, utilize me for any press, um, which I think was a missed opportunity. Um, but I will say, had they done that, my response probably wouldn't have been different. Look, my response was in defense of the film because I think it is a solid film and everyone I know who's seen it across the spectrum has really enjoyed it, but I can understand how people have certain grievances, especially if it's your, if it's your child and you've been with this project for years and you finally get it made and it doesn't have the response that you were ex expecting. But at the end of the day, this will be one of those slow burner hits that maybe didn't start big, but will find its place in queer history. Yes. It came out at a time where people were still hesitant about going into a theater Mm -hmm. All right. And then when it got on streaming, it was like 30 bucks to watch right. it. So and now it's going to be free on, on, on. Oh, uh, it's going to take off. It's yeah. going to take off. All right. Well, Jay, we have more to talk to you about of after bros and some things about current events as well in our next segment. So we'll be right back with Jay Rodriguez. Love it. Thanks for listening to this interview. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live, reminding you that we stream on YouTube every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out the hundreds of past interviews and all the comedy sketches, songs, and more from previous episodes. And remember to subscribe to us, both here and on YouTube.com slash Amber Live, so you don't miss a single new guest or a hysterical comedy sketch. All right, we're back with Jay Rodriguez. We just got finished talking about Bros, the movie that's going to be streaming on Peacock soon. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. So, Jay, what have you been doing since Bros? Yeah, so I shot Bros a year ago, and then this spring I shot a great series called Fantasy Island starring Rosalind Sanchez that airs on Fox. Great. Okay, is, that the same, is that the uh, takeoff the of plane, The Plane? Yeah, it's the reboot of that. <laughs> and, and what's your character? So I play a guy who's going to celebrate his besties bachelor party. I have two straight besties. The funny thing is we're around the same age and we're all Latin and that never happens. Normally we were sharing, it's usually we get to be the one Latin and the three of us who are auditioned for the same parts and we're up for the, a lot of the same jobs are um, usually, you know, never getting to work together. So that was a really beautiful experience. Yeah. And I play um, this guy who basically has lost his, his, his confidence, he's scared of everything. And he goes to the island to basically overcome his fears. And the island gives you not necessarily what you want, but what you need. And that episode will be on Fox on June 9th. But the series begins on June the 2nd. Uh, J January, not June. <laughs> what a good pitch except for the date. <laughs> we got you in January. That would just January, just the yeah. The series starts January 2nd. My episode, I believe, is the second episode, making it January 9th. What, what else is coming up? Yeah, so I just shot um, two episodes of Nora from Queens with Bowen Yang, who was a dream to work with and so gracious. And, you know, I was fangirling and trying to be professional at the same time. I didn't even ask for a picture. I'm kicking myself for that. Um, but he was lovely. I got a cell phone number, so I guess next time in New York, I'll give him a ring. But I always like to know the, the up-and-coming queer 
you know, people in entertainment because there might be times where we need to bounce ideas off each other or get support in ways that only someone in entertainment who does what you do would be able to provide. What are you doing? Hey, <laughs> let me get my dog out of here. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's human. He has a pet. <laughs> and I'm sure it's adorable. <laughs> He's very cute, but he was like, I don't know. I get a little, hold on. We're going to focus our lighting. There. <laughs> okay. So that's cool about working with Bo and Yang because, uh, you know, before last year, no one knew of him, you know, outside of New York, but uh, now we know him from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, he's got so many great movie hits and like great cameos and things. He's in Bros. He's that Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie. Like he's, he's really, he's really being able to showcase what he does and appeal to a broader audience. And I don't remember SNL having too many Asian American actors, never mind queer ones. So I think he's really killing it. Yeah. Do you, do you remember Terry Sweeney? That was, was probably way before your. He was probably the first openly gay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. You you've got this twenty plus years of show business. You you've you've established some street cred there. How are you going to use that? What what do you want to do with it? Yeah. You know, I think what off the heels of people like um, Billy Eichner and um, so many others who created original content, I think that's the next chapter is to be more of a producer and talent attached as opposed to just waiting for something to come to me in taking meetings with different um, production companies and networks. They're seeing me more as a consultant because of my quarter century of experience in the industry and the communities that I represent. And generally speaking, in some of these meetings, people who I'm meeting with don't represent my lived experience and they want an authentic window in. So from being the actor to being the storyteller on a more producer angle is the, is the goal. And certainly my life has given me those, those uh, you know, the career to kind of support that decision. Well, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> Just by talking with you this past hour or so, I can tell you can do it. All right. You're aware of what's going on in the world today. Um, you're a smart person. Um, our community is being attacked, both politically with don't ask gay laws, with uh, taking books out of schools, with drag shows and drag queen story hours being harassed with shootings at gay bars and drag shows. What the hell's going on, Jay? Yeah, I mean, when we did Queer Eye, we were living in a bubble. Um, you know, we didn't experience much hate. There wasn't social media. Um, the president, who was ultra conservative at the time, President Bush, um, talked about us in a loving way. Donald Trump did an episode with us. Uh, it was a different time. And to see the shift in the past six years um, politically, and voices that were normally muffled or would say things in dark corners, now saying them proudly and publicly, even you know, government leaders and politicians spewing hate and ignorance and bigotry and gaining an audience by rallying a common enemy. And most often than not, they have come for LGBTQ plus people. It's almost like gays get a pass or some gays get a pass. And it's always kind of been that way. And, uh, you know, ask trans people who've been around long enough to remember, you know, they're the last to be considered even in the LGBTQ plus community. So it doesn't surprise me that conservatives would jump on the bandwagon. And when it comes to drag, look, I performed in the art form of drag in, in a musical that was, you know, for teenagers or adults. It's a rated R musical. Um, and so for me, 
you know, the things that kids are exposed to, we talk about oftentimes the sexual, the sexualizing of kids, but it's done at such an early age when people are saying like, Oh, do you have a girlfriend? You know, how many times have you been asked that basically probed about what you like before you've even hit puberty. Um, and you know, when it comes to the art form of drag, as long as it's age appropriate, I think it's up to the parent to decide what kind of entertainment content they subject them to. But to make a blanket statement that all drag is not appropriate for kids is incorrect. Maybe not for your kids if you have an issue with that and you would prefer to teach your kids that drag is bad. But to say that, you know, uh, someone who's adorning a costume that's, you know, to them going to look like a princess or a character and it's an actor essentially portraying a role, reading a children's book to them that's entertaining you have clowns reading to kids and bianca del rio would argue it's the same thing um <laughs> you know i i just to hear it really bums me out because sometimes i hear people saying things and i'm like yeah if you go to a drag show at 1 a.m at a bar that's not appropriate for kids it's barely appropriate for me you know but it's designed to be the kind of comedy and entertainment for adults at that hour However, there are some family-friendly style drag shows that they know they get more family-friendly st stuff. So they'll tell them, do the Disney numbers, do the blah, 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 be mindful, there's kids in the house. But you know, it's really up to the parents and, and use common sense. But, but to be honest, it's like knowing what parents subject their kids to, whether it's violence, whether it's like shooting video games, whether it's pageants that over-sexualize you know, young kids dance competitions with risque outfits that go viral, sometimes for the wrong reasons. You know, the, the kids have been sexualized at a very early age. As a parent, it is your job to shield them, but I don't think that drag is, uh, is sexualizing uh, children. But the other thought I always have is, you know, when I was younger, I would have loved to have seen drag queens around. You know, I have some incredible drag queen friends who, basically raised me and they were some of the people who were there for me the most in, in such a, a way that was, um, you know, my family didn't just couldn't, they didn't have the wherewithal to support me in those ways. So my relationship with drag is very simple. It's entertainment. And like any entertainment, some of it comes with a rating and you should be mindful of understanding what you're walking into. I personally wouldn't bring a kid to a late night drag show. They should be in bed. <laughs> that that's for sure. Um, so I, I saw this story once where a young child saw a drag queen and said, "Mommy, what's that? <laughs> Why are they like that?" Yeah. And the parents said, "Well, you like to dress up and have fun, don't you?" And kids said, "Yes." Yeah. Well, that's what they're doing. They're dressing yeah, up. Yeah. By the way, like fun. you know, we have straight drag queens. We have Dame Edna. We have you know the kid that competed on RuPaul's Drag Race. It's, I think the idea is we have some, you know, we have some trans women who, who perform in the art form of drag. And then we have some, some cisgender guys who happen to be gay or queer and also perform in drag. And they don't live as a woman. They don't want to be a woman. It's yeah. just an extension of entertainment. And I personally find it entertaining. It is a successful medium that's proven to, found, to have found an international fan base of people who really appreciate and enjoy that art form. And it brings joy, love, acceptance. I think, you know, Drag Race is a beautiful window into the stories behind the entertainers, many of which have been dark. And, and we all know what it's like to feel different. But drag is about finding your inner 
self that is the best parts of you and act, uh, you know, giving them a little sparkle and shine and allowing you to express that in a safe way through the drag. Um, and that's why I used to like drag you it was a show where drag queens would put people in drag and give them almost these superpowers to access parts of themselves that they never had access to because they were too shy or meek, but always live within them. And on your darkest days, you can call upon that energy. Jay, what would you uh, talk to uh, the, the youth of today? What would you say to them? I think learn, learn, learn your history. If we're talking queer youth, I would say learn your history. Find out some of the lessons that you won't learn in school. Some of the people that came before you. Give people like me a follow on social media. I'll take you along for the ride. Um, that's an important part because oftentimes as a queer person, you can feel like you're the first who has done X, Y, and Z or experienced X, Y, and Z. And to know you have generations of people who came before you who've experienced the same thing and have come out on the other side for the better, they can often guide you and make you feel supported or make you feel less alone. And I would say continue to use your voice. You're so much braver you have so much more courage than i did at your age and so thank you for making the world a more tolerant place for the next generation you really have so many of the young people out there have been beacons of hope and when i look at how many straight allies are verbal in their words and loud and proud with their actions in their support of the community that warms my heart because we can't do it alone we can't we need our allies as well Jay, thank you so much for spending the time with us tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed the interview, and uh, you're a good person, Jay. You're I try. I try. Person. If you got the social media, give me a follow at, at J.I. Rodriguez across the board. <laughs> also, I have a Patreon, so come follow me there. It's J. Rodriguez World on Patreon. Love to see you. And, uh, and thank you again so much, uh, Amber. This has been a, a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Amber Live Interviews. Remember to subscribe to us so you don't miss a single minute of the fun. And remember, it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJD Pro or by visiting us at AmberLive.tv and clicking on the Support Amber Live button. Thank you.